Okay, um, I'm actually going to turn this over in just a few minutes to Don. Don's going to um, come up and share his heart about the beginning of our um, 21 days of prayer and fasting. But just in case this is your first time with us in January, you're like, ah, mm, no one, mm-mm. Like no one told me anything about fasting and I'm not doing that. And let me, let me just explain a little bit. And so we're, we're starting a new series today called Jumpstart. And I, I don't know about you, but you know, the end of the year kind of, it seems a little like, oh man, it's the end of the year. But January just has this feeling that there's, there's possibilities. There's things that can happen. It could be a better year. I mean, there's, you know, even if it's not big hope, you might like, oh, he, even if you have this, much hope for the possibility for 2019 to be better. We want to take the next four weeks and help you jumpstart that little hope that you have uh, into the possibility of what God can and will do in you uh, if you're willing to allow him. And so what we do for this 21 days in prayer and fasting, and there's actually a 21 day of prayer and fasting. Um, there's guides on the guest services tables. It'll give you things that you can be praying for, and then it'll give you a, a kind of a breakdown biblically of what fasting is. And so here, here's what we're asking. We're asking that you do something over the next 21 days different as a daily, moment, hourly uh, reminder that you need help in 2019. And that help is going to come from God alone. And so what we want to do, so what, the, what that means is you don't have to like stop eating right now and not eat for the next 21 days and be like, I mean, if you want to do a water fast, we're not going to stop you. Go for it. It'll talk about it on there. If you want to do a Daniel fast, if you want to limit some of the things, that some of the technology that you have in your life, our plan for 21 days is for you to have more time to focus on what God's doing. And so that usually means you eliminating a few things from your life. And that may start simply. If you've never done anything before like this, it might just be making a commitment. But here's what I recommend. If you make a commitment to do something for 21 days, tell someone. It's really easy to make. I mean, we could all raise our hands if when we've made internal commitments And we feel like we are the man or woman to do it. We can do it. We don't need others to know about it. And then four or five days later, when you get tired or you, you know, you just aren't feeling anymore, you just walk away from it and no one knows. There's something that happens when you make a commitment and you make that commitment public. And I'm not saying going on Facebook and telling the world I'm going to do this. I'm saying find some people that will help hold you accountable. And that that commitment for 21 days may be reading the Bible every day for 21 days. That may mean specifically praying for things every day for 21 days. All we're asking is that you give God the opportunity to jumpstart you this year. And so now I'm going to ask Don Bernard to come up front. Uh, Don Bernard is one of our elders in training. And all that means uh, is that officially in probably a month, uh, we have three guys that we've been meeting with for about six months that will officially become elders. And Don is one of those men. And I've asked Don to come here today to share with us uh, about something that is very big on his heart, uh, prayer. So before you, I let you go, I'm going to pray. 
Uh, dear my Father, we just thank you for Don. Lord, I thank you for what you have deposited in him this morning. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would allow us to be willing vessels to hear your word, to be moved by it, and to seek action out of it. And Lord, we just pray for this word, the delivery of it, and our response. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All yours. Thank you. My aunt, Don? One, two, three. Jesus is the king. Amen. Surprise. (laughs) But you never expect to see me up here. Me neither. All right. I'm just going to jump in with both feet. How's your prayer life? Hmm. That's a tough question. That's almost at the same level of somebody coming up to you saying, how's your marriage? Something that you probably don't really uh, address with anybody or answer unless they're part of your very personal inner circle. You know, you've seen Kathy and I, along with others, we'd be up here um, just about every Sunday, you know, just to offer ourselves to join you in prayer. Like Pastor Heath said, we host prayer in our home once a month for one hour a month. So you may think that, you know, prayer comes naturally to us, that we got it all together? Well, I tell you right now, we don't. Prayer has been laid on our hearts very heavy. It wasn't easy to get there. We still struggle like many of you still do with prayer. See, if I look at my background, I was raised Roman Catholic. Do we have anybody else that was raised Roman Catholic? Yeah. You know, Roman Catholic, uh, Catholicism itself, it's all about the Mass. Okay? It's called the celebration of the Mass. And uh, I'm going to take you back uh, between 45 to 60 years ago. And you'd say, yeah, dude must be pretty old. It's like, well, yeah, I usually tell people last time I went to the doctor for my physical, the first test they did was carbon dating. But Mass was every Sunday. The family that I was raised in, we were practicing very active members of a local Catholic church. And if you think about it, those especially that from that background, Mass was nothing but one long prayer. Okay? And it's kind of odd. I mean, going back to where Mass is not like it was when I was growing up. The priest would be off to the side. In a separate little room, the congregation would fill in. And then he'd walk through this door, and he'd grab a string that was tied to a bunch of bells. And you hear these bells ring. And I don't know if that was to announce his presence or to wake some people up. But then he'd walk up in front of the altar and turn his back to everybody. And for the next hour, sometimes hour and a half, he'd have his back to us. Because that's how the Mass was. Worse than that... It was in a foreign language. It was in Latin. It wasn't until 1965 that the Catholic Church made the transition from Latin to English. So you can imagine a young mind like myself thinking, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Here they are having this. The priest's back is facing me. He's speaking in a different language. 
That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I went to a Catholic school for the first eight years. And prayer was an important part of that. Every day, we started with the Pledge of Allegiance, and we started with prayer. But it was pretty much three basic prayers. We had the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. We had the Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And then the third was the glory be. Glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who was and is now and forever. Amen. That was, that was pretty much prayer for the first, say, 15 years of my life. It became very mechanical to me. Parochial, stale, meaningless. Sometimes do your prayers feel that way? At age of eight, that's what's known as the age of reasoning in the Catholic Church. So when you reach eight years old, now you have to go to the next sacrament. It's the sacrament of confession. If I would have known that ahead of time, I probably would have enjoyed myself more the first seven years of my life. <laughs> I wasn't being held accountable for anything, according to Catholic Church. But confession was just rocked my world. It gave me a totally different thought about prayer. We go into the confessional, say whatever we did wrong that we thought at that time was sin, and then the priest would respond back with something that we should pray. Okay, Don, I hear your prayers. Please say two Our Fathers, three Hail Marys, and four Glory Bees. The thing I found out after a while is, depending on what I said in the confessional, And how much I told him about, he'd give me extra prayers. So it's like, if I told him only a few things, I might get away with maybe two Our Fathers, maybe one Hail Mary. If I was more open and confessed more things, I'd end up with maybe five Our Fathers, seven Hail Marys, maybe even throw in a rosary. Well, what what would you glean from that? You know what I thought it was? I thought prayer was punishment. That's what I came out of it. The badder I was or the things that I did wrong, I was being punished. I had to say more prayers. So prayers to me became punishment. With a young mind like that, what else would I think? What would you think? At home we did pray. Again, a good Catholic home. We'd have nighttime prayers. You know, the usual prayers. You've probably heard them, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. Remember that one? Now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of peanuts at my feet. <laughs> if I should die before I wake, give those peanuts to Uncle Jake. Right? But it was the same type of thing. Dad would kneel us down next to one of the beds. And he'd say, okay. So we'd say, an Our Father, a Hail Mary, a Glory Be. And then we'd go down the line and say, blessed. Dad, bless Mom, bless Sandy, bless Ray, bless Teresa, bless Pat. We were a Catholic family. Yeah, I mean, just all the way down the line. I was always the last one. I was the run of the litter. I was concerned God would run out of blessings by the time he got to me. But that's what I, at that time, that is what I was basing my prayer life on. The way I understood it at that time. It's what I believed about prayer. And I didn't see too many of my prayers being answered the way I thought they should. 
And because of that, I doubted. Have you developed similar doubts? It's easy to do that. I really did pray on my own, but only when I needed. See, prayer in God to me was like a spare tire. If I'd get a flat in life, I'd bring it out and use God and maybe pray for a while. Until that situation was gone, prayer and God would go right back into the trunk. In a way, prayer was my rabbit's foot. If I was going to be in a sticky situation, I'd bring prayer out, kind of rub it a little bit, hope the situation would go away or I'd go through with it fine. And prayer was also kind of my negotiations. God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. Kind of making them a deal. But again, that's all I knew about prayer. I would wonder, what do I need to do to have prayer, my prayers answered? Because I want my share of the miracles, right? Don't you? You want your share of the miracles in your prayers? I was a good kid. I continued to go to Mass, even when I didn't necessarily have to. Gave money to the church. I was an altar boy for quite a few years. But it wasn't until I opened up the Bible. And this is probably maybe five years into our marriage, to read about God's view of prayer. Not the priest's view of prayer, not the nun's view of prayer, not even the Catholic faith's view of prayer, but God's view of prayer. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit showed me that the reality of what God, in my mind, he's the author of prayer, meant it to be. You know, there are six, over 640 prayers written in the Bible. You want to learn how to pray? Start with the Word of God. And then ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. One of the stories that caught my attention really early on about prayer is in Second Chronicles. And I think we all know what that is. Second Chronicles is where they were dedicating the Lord's temple. David wanted to build God's temple. God said, no, you've shed too much blood. We'll let your son build the temple. So Solomon and the people of Israel built God's temple. And when the temple was completed, they had such a celebration. You count it all up, it was like 21 days straight that they were celebrating. That's quite a party. 21 days straight. And then near the end, and all through it, Solomon was praying for the people. He was praying to God. And at the end of the 21 days, they sacrificed Get this, Uh, 22,000 head of cattle. Then they sacrificed 120,000 sheep and goats. Can you picture that in your mind? That's a lot of meat. That's a lot of blood. So how did God respond to that, to those Wonderful sacrifices? Do you say, well done, good and faithful people, offering all this livestock to me? It's interesting. His response to Samuel, to Solomon for his people, found in Second Chronicles 7.14. All familiar with the verse? If my people were called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, which is a continuation of prayer, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive them of their sins and heal their land. There's another version of this that I I just think is awesome. It's found in the version of the Bible called The Message. And my people, my God-defined people, respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence, turning their backs on their wicked lives. I'll be there ready for you. I'll listen from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land to hell. Now, that's a promise, but when you read that, the way it's written, boy, I, get, I, I just feel so much love from God the way that's written. That's a promise and maybe a little bit of fearfulness, but there's so much love in that. So much love in that. I believe a major distinguishing factor between a non-Christian, someone that rejects God, and a Christian is prayer. If you think about it, a non-Christian is supported by the views of the world. Let's face it, we all came from there. The world says, believe in yourself. You can do more. You deserve this product. Seek out your inner strength. You can have it all. It's competition to the fittest. The problem with that belief is it starts with self and it ends with self. But what have you really gotten? For a Christian, who believe in prayer. It may start with self, but it always ends with you and God. Look at this out of Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, power to be strengthened by his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you be filled with all the fullness of God. How awesome is that? So, how's your prayer life? You have morning devotions? Prayer during meals? When you pray for someone? Has it turned into somewhat of a not mind-numbing ritual, pretty much routine, kind of reduced to a task? Does it get in the way of your busy life? You know, we're raised in a world where everything is multitask this, multitask that. No one does one thing anymore at a time. So the challenge, and this is the main challenge with prayer, it takes focus. It takes you setting everything aside and focus on one thing. And that thing, of course, is God himself. The Bible tells us we don't know how to pray. God knows his children. He knows even the simple act of prayer. We need his help. So Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He calls it a weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, growing up, prayer was just words to me. I didn't realize the truth that prayer can be an intimate expression of a relationship, a relationship between father and his child. Let me illustrate this for a second. James, could you come up here? Hey, James. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah? How was your Christmas? Good. Yeah. You a little bit nervous? Mm-hmm. A little scared? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll tell you what. Let's bring Dad up. Dad? feel better now? Yeah. yeah. Did you see that? This is what prayer looks like. It's a relationship, a father to a child. Nothing pleases Daniel's heart more than having James's arms around his neck. Nothing pleases James more than feeling the strong arms of the father around him. Is this what your prayer looks like right now? Could you imagine your prayers looking like this every day? How would your daily devotions be different? How would your prayer for your even your meals or when you're praying for someone? If you picture this, how would that affect your prayers? This is this is part of what God is. He's a father. He's not just the thing up there in heaven. He's a person. We don't pray to a burning bush. right? We're praying to God the Father. It says in the Bible that we were created in the image and likeness of God. So God is a person. Just like James. Thanks. Thanks for coming up. So that's something to kind of get in your Get in your mind when you're praying. Can you picture that in your mind when you're praying? That you're praying to your daddy. Try and picture it differently next time you have your prayer. Plus also you're praying to a God, the creator of the universe. Does that blow your mind that you're able to pray to the God that created your universe? Think about that. Jesus would start his prayers. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your name, that's God's reputation. Your name, in many cases, your reputation. But Jesus would start. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart is your name. Worthy is your name. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Godhead. When was the last time you felt such awe in your prayers? Ecclesiastics tells us that we should guard ourselves as we approach God. He's not the boy next door. He's not your neighbor next door. He's the great I am. 
When was the last time you were amazed that you were talking with God? Think about that. You know, the most appreciated thing about the Catholic Church that I appreciated, the Catholic Mass demonstrated an authentic reverence to God. It really did. Respect, admiration, expression and worship and awe to the living God. Think about it. When you're praying to God, you are also praying to the same God that Moses spoke to, that Daniel wrote songs about, that delivered an entire nation out of exile, that holds all the planets in balance, who loves his creation so much, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the God who you're praying to. Can you picture that when you pray? So how's your prayer life? Let me ask you a tough question. Not here to step on toes, but I am here to challenge you. Consider your own personal prayer life for a second, okay? You're part of Reach Church. What if every member in this church had your level of prayer life? Everyone. Whatever your level of your prayer life is, however intimate or not intimate that you are with God, everyone in this church had that same level. Would we be in trouble? Or would it be God's with us? I want to close with this. Prayer can be personal, but prayer also is the strength of community. There are times for our prayer closet. There's times that you need to get out on your own, just you, one-on-one. Just like James and Daniel was here, one-on-one with your God. There's also times for praying for one another. James 5, 13, 18, it's not on the back, but you know these scriptures very well. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone merry? Let him sing songs. If anyone's sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. No one claims to be righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But where do we get our righteousness from? Christ the Lord. With that righteousness, you can pray effectively, fervently, and it can accomplish much. So how does Reach Church promote prayer? How how do we promote prayer? Well, we're starting the 21 days of fasting and prayer, right? Here's an opportunity to engage in a time that we're starting the year where we we have an opportunity, and then as Pastor Heath said, depends on the level that you're willing to, to go, to sacrifice a bit, 
and to pray some more. Why 21 days? I don't know, but I've always read that 21 days is, if you do something straight for 21 days, you develop a new habit. Prayer would be a great habit to get into. We have the prayer cards. Right? That's another way we promote prayer here. This card right here, I have to uh, tell you, is the most underutilized piece of media that we have here. I collect the prayer cards uh, every Sunday, and on the average, I get two. Two prayer requests. That's why they're underutilized. Now, there may not be a prayer card right in front of you, maybe a couple chairs over. It's there for your purpose. We have a team of people that have committed and dedicated themselves to pray for you. And so I put this all in an email to them. I send it out, and you know people can be praying for you. Sometimes there's things you just you don't know how to pray for yourself, and that's where others can pray with you. Of course, we're going to be closing the 21 days of prayer with the 24 hours prayer vigil. And all I want to say about that, yes, it is 24 hours. And we're asking people to sign up, two people to sign up per hour. And you're thinking, what can I pray about for an hour? Well, we are going to be handing, uh, uh, there are going to be a sheet to really help you focus on what are the things we want to pray about. Because we do want to pray in unison. We want to agree in prayer. Now, that doesn't limit you. And we're not like trying to have robot prayer warriors, okay? Because there's freedom in prayer, too. Let the Spirit lead you. But there'll be helpful aids for that. There's a sign-up sheet on the table in the front. Grab that time slot. And let me tell you about, there's going to be nighttime and daytime because it's 24 hours straight. You may want to strongly consider taking one of the night slots. Why? Because during the day, there's just too many distractions. And that's what Kathy and I have found that have been part of these prayer vigils in the past with other churches. During the daytime, you say, well, I'm going to pray between 1 p.m. and 2 p.m. right after lunch. That's, that's a tough time. That's a challenging time. Any time during the daytime is going to be challenging. If you commit to pray between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m., what we found is that's a great time. Why? Nothing's going on. It's the middle of the night. Your mind is kind of fresh, especially if you just, if you set your alarm clock and you woke up. There's nothing you're really thinking about. At that point, it's so easy to just focus on you and God. Just saying. And then the last thing that we do to promote prayer, not the last, but one of the major things, is every Sunday we have prayer teams come forward. You've seen us. And they're there for you. You know, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out not individually, but two by two. If you think about it, that wasn't very wise, was it? He sent them out two by two to go to these different villages and cities. What if he would have sent them out only individually? They could have covered twice as much territory. Why did he send them out two by two? 
Because he knows we need each other. He knows it's always good to have a companion strong with you. Kathy and Marianne just completed a 5K run for the first time last December. And they did it together. And they made a commitment together. And they helped each other. And they practiced and trained about a three-month period. And they met together. And then during the race, they ran together. And they finished together. They conquered. They meet their goal. But if you ask Mary Ann or you ask Kathy, they will tell you, I would not have been able to do it without her running at my side. That's the practical side. Prayer is the same way. So could if I have the uh, prayer team come forward and have the worship team come forward? I really want, I want to send out a strong invitation about prayer. Just kind of line up along the front. I mean, kind of a stronger invitation to come forward and meet with one of these prayer warriors for prayer. Yeah, it can feel awkward coming up. You may feel like 160 eyeballs pressing into the back of your head. But remember, it's not about you. It's about God and what he is offering you today. The prayer team member is here to help you focus. They're not going to have the the exact words. They're not going to have maybe the best thing to say. But it's not about words. It's about hearts coming together. Chris's heart joining with your heart in agreement with prayer. The Bible also says, if two of you agree in prayer, I will hear you. And I will do it. What a promise that is. Don't let an emotional feeling keep you from receiving from the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with gratitude. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Did you walk in those doors today being anxious about something, worried about something? Did you walk through those doors this morning lacking a little bit of peace, something to steal in your peace? Please don't walk the other way out those doors without offering to come up and have somebody pray with you about it. Don't leave with what you came with. There are certain things you want to leave at the altar of God, at the feet of God. So we want to pray for you. We want to go to the Father together. So let's pause for a second and think about it. No distractions. Think about your family, maybe marriage, finances. Maybe there's a job situation you're facing. Maybe a big decision, concerns about your health. We can even anoint you with oil. Chris, he carries his, I carry mine. That's the sacrament of being anointed with oil for healing. Something that is hurting you physically, emotionally, mentally. These folks are here to be there for you, to minister to you, to help you.
to serve you. Don't let this time go by.